If you've got a Bible with you, I'd love if you would open up to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. We'll be in the first 18 verses of that chapter. And John chapter 5 is a story of Jesus encountering a man who is paralyzed for 38 years. And then he encounters Jesus and everything changes. Before we dive in, let me pray that the word of God would speak to our souls this morning. Yeah, Father, um, I love John 5. But, but not just John 5, but I love the contents of John 5. I love the person who is in John 5. I love the way that you encounter this paralyzed man who had lost all hope of healing. And you met him where you were, he was at. And then after he met you, everything changed. He got up, picked up his bed, and walked. And Father, I love the, the reaction that the people had after that healing, which was, who is that man? And Father, I pray that this morning, you would become beautiful to us. Not Saul Company, not Vertical Church, not any one of us, not the worship team, none of that, Father. But that, Jesus, you would be our supreme treasure, and you would be made beautiful this morning. Father, help us to quiet the voices that we've walked into this place with and to focus in on you. In your name we pray, amen, amen. So here's the question of the hour this morning, and the question is, do you want to be healed? Before we do that, I just want to put a magnifying glass on something that's happening in culture, which is the uh, upward directory, I don't know what this is, but like when it gets bigger, of self-help. Now, this is a confession. I'm a little bit self-helpy, which I know I'm not supposed to be. I get it, okay? Um, but I'm a little bit self-helpy because I live in Minnesota. And you're like, so do I, Tony. I'm like, good, that's why you're here. But I'm a little bit self-helpy because when you wake up and you know it's cold outside, you know what I'm saying? Like, you don't even have to look outside. You're like, it's cold. But it's not just cold. It's like negative four cold. But then it feels like negative 13. And you're like, this is why I can't trust anyone. You're like, come on. Just tell me it's negative 13, if it's gonna hurt. So you're like, okay, you get up, it's dark outside, sun doesn't come up until about noon in Minnesota, and you get in your living room, like a good Christian, you cuddle up on your couch, you get your coffee, it's like super aesthetic, and you open up your Bible, and then you have this thought, you're like, man, do I wanna go outside and exercise this morning? Because it's healthy for me. And the answer is no. Not even a little bit. Like no part of you wants to do that. But you know it's good for you, and like that's what people tell you to do. So in those moments of weakness, Vertical Church, I'll occasionally watch The Rock's Instagram videos for inspo. I'll be honest, it's amazing. I highly recommend it. We'll get you out of the couch so fast, and I love it. So that's self-help, because that's my self-help story. But I want to kind of broaden out a little bit and ask the question, why is self-help making such a resurgence, specifically in my generation and in college students and young professionals? Why is self-help so deeply ingrained in the DNA language, and lifestyle of my generation. And here's why I believe that it is. I believe self-help is deeply ingrained into our culture because everyone is hurting, and when you're hurting, you need help. But I also believe what else is true is that in previous generations, you would find help and healing in some other place outside of yourself, whether it was ideology, community, maybe the idea of a God, maybe a specific worldview or faith. But we live in a generation that has deconstructed all of that, and so we're left by ourselves to figure out what it means to be healthy and whole. So because people are hurting, I believe that people are in need of help, and so they look to themselves. 
and vertical, this is not just a part of my generation or college students in general. This is a part of the human problem. And ever since Genesis 3, people have been hurting, seeking healing. And the truth is, that hasn't changed for any of us in this room. And if you're self-aware enough to actually analyze a little bit what's going on in your life, you'll know that there are parts of your soul, parts of your life that are hurting and in need of healing. And my hope for you this morning is that the question that Jesus asked the man who had been paralyzed for 30 years, 38 years, would be asked to you. And the question is, do you want to be healed? Open up with me to John chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now in Jerusalem, in the sheep, uh, by the sheep gate, was a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man who was there who had been invalid, one man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. Okay, so I just want to introduce the different characters of this story. We're about to get to Jesus, but I first want to talk about this man who was an invalid for 38 years and describe to you the scenario that he grew up in and the lifestyle that he would have had. So keep in mind, this is all the way back in first century Jerusalem. Now, an invalid of that time was someone who was blind, paralyzed, uh, lame. This man, we've come to find out, was paralyzed because he could not walk, which means his lifestyle, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, was to lay on a mat and beg for money just so he could live. And occasionally, he'd have someone pick him up and move him to a different place so he could go to the bathroom in a different place. Occasionally, he wouldn't. So the bed that he was laying on likely had 38 years of entrenched excrement. And not only was he alone, but he was surrounded by people like this. Now, what I want us to see is that this would have been a really brutal circumstance for someone in the first century. There was no nonprofit organization to help those who were disabled. There was no uh, surgeries that you could go to the Mayo Clinic for and have this revolutionary medical surgery that would help you walk again. There was no PT for rehab. This man's life was to sit and be stripped of his dignity day by day as he would beg for money just to live. And he was surrounded by people who were the same. Now, maybe the worst part of all this wasn't just the physical ramifications of his condition, but the spiritual ramifications. Because at that time, the Pharisees were spreading this white lie that if you were born paralyzed or you had become physically disabled, the reason for your cause was that you or your parents had sinned so greatly that you would pay for it in your body. They had a version of the prosperity gospel that if you were rich and healthy and beautiful, Jesus loved or God loved you. But if you were broken like this man, God would want nothing to do with you. And so he was cloaked, not just in his own excrement, not just in the brokenness of the scenario, but in his own shame. Now, Vertical Church, here's the, here's the problem as we read biblical texts like this from our perspective is we often don't put ourselves in the story, but I want us to put ourselves in the story. Imagine with me a multitude. We don't know exactly how many, let's just call it 50 to 100 people, all with the same lifestyle, the same stench, the same anguish, sitting around this pool under these roofed colonnades. And then in walks Jesus. Look with me to verse 6. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? 
guys, this is Jesus, okay? Like, this is the place that we'd all kind of like, you know, sidestep. Or if we had to go through, we'd like put our head down and we wouldn't make eye contact with anyone. This was a very avoidable situation, but this is what Jesus does. He intentionally seeks out this place. Why? Because he wanted to be where people were. And not just people of high standing, but people who are hurting and broken. Because his heart was not that of a social critic that was like, man, why can't they just figure it out? Why can't they just get their own healing? But of a compassionate shepherd that wanted to know his flock. And so he would go into the place that none of us would go into. And this is what I love about this story. This story seems like it's a story about this man being healed. But in actuality, I think the more important part of the story, the part I want to hit first, is the character of Jesus. That this is not just a miracle story of something that happened. This is a story of a caring shepherd who cares. First of all, Jesus sees the man. He doesn't avoid the suffering and pain of people. He's actually attracted to the suffering and pain of people. But the second thing that I love about the way that John writes this verse is that he knew the man. See, Jesus didn't just see the man in his suffering, in his pain. He knew the implications of suffering to his soul. He knew that this man had been hurting for a really long time. And I think he knew something that we often miss when we read the Bible, which is that he knew that this man had lost all hope of healing. See, the reality of this text is this is a text not just of a man being healed by Jesus' miraculous touch, but Jesus' unbelievable IQ and EQ that he shows in this text. He knew this man much deeper than anyone else would because Jesus loves people who are in need of healing. Vertical Church, what that means for us this morning is that Jesus not only sees you, but knows you. Because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And what's true is he doesn't just see the circumstances that you've lived in or walked in with. He understands the depth of your soul and the depth of your pain. And not only does he see you and know you, but he loves you fully. And that's the security that we have this morning is time and time again, we can walk in broken, raising our hands saying, I honestly don't know what I'm doing with my life. I don't have all the answers to the pain of my past, but I do know that Jesus sees me and knows me fully and yet makes a decision to love me all the same. And the second thing that I hope for us this morning is that for some of us in this room that have lost hope of healing, that there would be a new thing that happens this morning. And guys, I I read this story, and I was studying this story, and it was really convicting because, honestly, I I resonate a lot with this man in this story. And I don't blame him. 38 years is a long time to be in pain and to lose hope. I think even in my Christian life, I've had the question at times, am I too broken to be fully healthy? You know what I mean? Like, am I too far gone to be known and loved by Jesus? I I grew up... um, in kind of like the projects of Nashville. We grew up in poverty and in abusive scenarios. And a lot of that is still with me. And I think I carry around some shame about that. Like, I should be better by now. Aren't I a Christian? Like, I'm supposed to have everything healed. And I think at some level, like, my past circumstances and my upbringing, I've just assumed that Jesus would only heal the deepest wounds of my life when I get to heaven. 
But I feel like what Jesus was telling me in this text is like, no, hope again. Like hope against hope. Even if it seems like even if all the secular psychology is like, okay, if you're born in abuse and trauma, you're messed up, that Jesus would heal the deepest wounds of my soul. And here's my prayer for some of us in this room. I think a lot of us have gone through some type of mental health illness. And maybe for you, this isn't the hardest season of your mental health, but the hardest part about struggling with mental health is not the big moments and big spikes, but it's the daily low-grade depression that feels like a cover over everything you've ever experienced. And maybe you're here and you're just like accepted that this is it. This is all life is. And my hope for you this morning is that Jesus would say something to you in the coming verses that would give you a renewed hope. Look with me to verse 7. The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. See, I think we find in this story a man who has been hurting for so long, he has lost all hope of healing. We see this because when given the question, do you want to be healed? A yes or no question. He begins to describe the circumstances of why he hasn't been healed. And I think this is all of our tendencies, right? I'm not healed because this is just who I am. I'm not healed because this is just what I've done my whole life. I've watched porn every day for the last 10 years. How could I be healed of that today? I'm scarred. I'm broken. I can't trust people. So how can I trust people today? And I think a lot of us would rather describe the reasons why we're not healed than trust in the one who can heal us. Because this is the great physician. This is Jesus. And I think this man had learned to cope with his pain by explaining away the reasons why he could not be healed. What I love about this text is that he didn't know that the one who he was hoping for to put him in the water was standing right in front of him. And he would heal him, not by picking up his body and putting him in the water, but by his words. Two things I want to hit on this part of the text. One, our hope of healing is now rooted in our ability to hope. Jesus could have very been like, okay, you know what? You didn't even answer my yes or no question. Like, you have no faith. I'm not going to heal you. But he didn't. He was like, it's my words. And I think what John wanted to show us here is it wasn't actually out of this man's faith or, or ability to self-muster up inspiration, motivation, hope. But it was actually out of the words of Jesus that this man was healed. It is not dependent on our faith, but on dependent, it is dependent of Jesus' words. Second is, okay, this is, a, this is an interesting command, all right? Normally, I wouldn't question Jesus. Hasn't gone right for people historically. Wouldn't do it. But when you read something and you're like, ah, this is weird, you should ask yourself, why is this so weird? And Jesus does this because he's thinking at like eight levels deeper and smarter than all of us, you know? So you're just going to read stuff and you're like, why does he say that? Okay, why does Jesus say, pick up your bed, right? The get up part, you're like, yeah, come on, heal him. The walk part, you're like, yeah, strut it out. That's fantastic. Do that. But pick up your bed. Why does he say, pick up your bed? Keep in mind, guys, this bed was disgusting. Like, straw mat, 
on the floor, weathered, soiled, physically disgusting, and it would have been a symbol, not just of physical ailment, but of spiritual suffering and spiritual sin. This was a shameful bed. And this is the beauty, is the bed had no value to this man, but had incredible value to others. Sneak peek later on in the sermon. But before we do that, I just want to take a moment and pause here and notice that John didn't write about any rebuttals from the man, okay? Jesus commands three things. Get up, pick up your bed, and walk it out, right? And he does three things. But vertical church, what I want us to focus in on is we would do well to follow the words of Jesus this way. I don't know about you guys, but I tend to gravitate toward the commands of God and the parts of the Bible that I like. And I don't know, if I was this man, I might have been like, mm, Jesus, like, I could get a new bed. Like, I don't really want to do it. Like, I don't, I don't want to pick that up. I don't want to take that with me. But he had expressed purpose for his obedience. And I think what Jesus is trying to show us here is he does want to heal you and he will heal you. But he also wants to instruct you. See, instruction from the word of God is not the life that you often want, but it is absolutely the life that we need. And I think for a lot of us, we love the spectacular moments and miracles and the worship Jesus moments at Vertical Church, which, by the way, homecoming was so good. Shout out to Dan. That was fantastic. We all love that. I don't know anyone who doesn't show up to a church and they're like, oh, I don't enjoy that. But what about when Jesus calls us his sexual integrity? Or what about when Jesus calls us to live sacrificially? Or what about when Jesus calls us to wash each other's feet and to give up of our material resources so that the kingdom of God could be built? Not as exciting. But my prayer for all of us is that what we would see in this text is that the secret that will propel us into sanctification and holiness in Christ is that every word of Jesus matters. Even the ones that don't make sense. Like, why would, why would I want to pick up a soiled, ugly, gross bed? Because it's in obedience to Jesus that we learn that he is not only our healer, but he is our maker, our creator, and God. And my prayer for a lot of us is that that would actually begin to mark our lives. Simple obedience over a lifetime. And here's what happened when this man, in obedience, picked up his bed. The object of shame became an object of glory. Look with me to verse 12. They asked him, who was the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was. Hilarious. For Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. And afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. Okay, now we find out later on in the story why Jesus had him pick up his mat. And I believe it's because Jesus wanted to show people that the bed that used to be a symbol of shame became a symbol of healing. No longer was this the bed where he lay, it was his testimony. And here's what will happen to you if you engage with the healer Jesus, when Jesus asks you the question, do you want to be healed? And then he does the healing work, irregardless of your faith even, but we should ask him, you know, we should be like, yes, Jesus, right? We should pray under center. But okay. But after that happens, after we healed, the natural response is that other people in our life would ask the question, who is the man? Who is the healer? 
See, what Jesus knew that the man didn't is that when you carry your bed, when you carry that gross old life of yours that might even feel weird to talk about and even weird to share about, dead people listen. Vertical Church, my prayer is that after we are asked by Jesus this morning, do you want to be healed, that we would become a people that carry the bed around us everywhere we go, and people would say, who is that man? Who's the healer? Because it's not even about us. Like I share my past story all the time, the abuse, the poverty, the stuff, not because I'm proud of it or even because I'm happy about it, but because it points to my healer God who brought me out of darkness and into light. And so I will carry this ugly, disgusting bed everywhere I go with the prayer that dead people would listen, that the healer God is real. Vertical church, what would happen in our modern culture if Christians cared more about other people's salvation than our reputation? That we were willing to share the gross stuff in our lives and just to be like, man, and I'm not perfect yet either. You know, like, I'm not really that good at following Jesus. They're like, what? You're a Christian. I'm like, yeah, I know. That's the point. Crazy. Like, if we're willing to just be like, hey, you know what? I don't need you to think highly of me. But my healer has saved me and healed me. And so I will speak all the more about him. And so I'll carry this mat that makes me look weird and smell weird and feel weird. If so, Jesus could be glorified. Vertical church, what would happen to our culture if Christians began to bring their mat wherever they went? I pray that the city would be changed. As we close, let's look to verse 14 because it may be one of the most important verses in the biblical story and maybe one of the most important verses in all of the Bible. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse will happen to you. All right, let's just rewind a little bit. What, Jesus? This man's life was terrible. Like I wouldn't wish it upon any of us. 38 years of soiling yourself in the same spot. Unable to move, unable to make anything happen with your life. Shamed by society because of his broken body. So what is Jesus saying here? He's actually saying something that's spiritually true that we cannot see. That worse than a life of paralysis is a life of sin. Because sin will ruin your life. And guys, I know firsthand that the deepest pain in my life is not caused by the brokenness of my past, but it is caused by me running back to sin as my Savior, not Jesus. It's way worse because there's something that's true about the world that we often forget, that suffering cannot kill you, but sin can, and sin does. And pain is temporary, but the sin that we feel deep in our soul can have eternal implications. See, the reason why sin is so important for the gospel narrative is that if you do not know that you are a desperate sinner, sinner and that sin will kill you, you will never understand that you need a healer. And that's what Jesus came to do. See, the wages of sin is death. And here's the pinnacle. Here's the point of the story. This is not a simple story of a man's healing, but it is a story of Jesus revealing his purpose in, on earth. Look with me to verse 18 as we close. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal 
with God. See, this is an interesting way that John writes. You would think, okay, how is this in line with the healing story of the man who was paralyzed for 38 years? This is in line because what Jesus came to do was not just to break the Sabbath, as the Pharisees said, or not just to heal some bones, but actually to bring salvation to earth, to show everyone that physical healing that he did was just a pointer to the spiritual healing that we all desperately need. And this story is in the word of God so we can see that we are the man. We are the invalid man. We're the ones who have been paralyzed from birth, and some of us don't even know it. And we've lived so much a life of sin and brokenness that we've lost all hope. But what Jesus wants to do in this moment is remind us that hope is not lost because he is not just a healer, but he is God himself. And he's bringing healing into this room. And here's what set Jesus apart from every other healer is he didn't use his hands, but he used his words. Which means the hope that we have this morning, Vertical Church, is that as we open up the word of God and as we speak to our Father in heaven, healing is at our fingertips. Not because of us, but because of who Jesus is and the words that he spoke. And the question for you this morning is, do you want to be healed? Let's pray.